This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now, I want to sort of try to connect us to bring us really quick, go back and carry us to, to where we at here today inside this, this passage as we preach week after week, we want to challenge you and remind you to stay connected with the narrative flow of everything that's, that's happening inside here, inside the book of Acts. Everything that, that is building off the week before and the weeks before and everything that's happening, is, there's this flow that's going on. And to be able to see the fullness of what God is doing, we want you to be able to like continue to, 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 to walk in step with how things have been flowing so we started off with, with Acts, and uh, the disciples was waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. Then, and, and they waited for a while, and then the Spirit fell on all the disciples while they were in the upper room. And then after that, they started to, to speak in tongues, and, and, and you had all the, the people that was around there from different nations at that time and moment, and they were speaking in the tongues of all the different people, and then as a side effect of the Holy Spirit falling on them, they started preaching the gospel, but with this Holy Spirit anointed boldness and how they went forward in, in preaching it. You see that even before the Spirit had fell, that they was committed to prayer. They were seeking God and they was committed to prayer. You see there was a, a people that was committed to, to, to fellowship and community. They was committed to sound doctrine, so they was coming together, and they was hearing the word. They were studying in scriptures. They was praying and studying in scriptures. These are the things that you've seen that was, that was happening, and then people were also being healed. They was being healed a couple of weeks ago. The, the disciples held the lame man at the temple, and then they ended up going to court over it because they, they held the guy, and when they get to court, they was released with this warning, you could do whatever you want, just don't preach the name of Jesus when you're doing it. That's the only thing that they had a beef with, the fact that they kept talking about Jesus. Yeah. The last week, Pastor Aaron preached, and when he preached, you see this, the new community of believers that was, that was living together, and there's this description that happened that the describes how these believers was living. You said, it said that they had all things in common. That they were selling their, their land and their homes for the sake of people inside the community. You saw that they was fully committed to the communal life. And then you see this, this sort of dark moment where there's this death of Ananias and Sapphira. And then Pastor Aaron closed it out talking about how they was committed to the covenant between them and God. And this happens right after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And that's what we pick up here today in chapter 12. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read through 12 all the way to 42. So just bear with me, but it's a, it's a good chunk. And there's a lot of juicy pieces inside of here. Okay. Now, with many signs and wonders, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. 
And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to them. Multitudes of men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with them, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest, questioning them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are all witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put them outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you do to these men. For before these days, theaters rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up. And in the days of the census, and and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. 
So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We stand in honor of who you are and honor that, that these are your words, Lord. We ask that you will take your truths, that you will plant your truths deep down in the soils of our heart and that you will cause them to bear fruit, Lord. So we give you all the honor. We give you all the glory. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, it's important to follow the narrative of what's going on, to continue to, to look at what happens week to week and even paying attention to things that happened before so that we can notice how, how God is responding to things, how God is speaking to things that, that happen along the way. It's important to continue to keep in mind what happens. Like two weeks ago, we closed out with the disciples praying that God would continue to heal and do signs and wonders. And God responds to this, to this prayer. It's a beautiful thing when, when, when you pray what's already in line with the will of God. And God responds to this prayer to, to continue to do signs and wonders with the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Then this week, we start in and it says, many signs and wonders was regularly being done. We went from one guy getting healed to many people being healed on a regular basis. Now, I'm not sure if they remember praying and asking God to continue to do these, these signs and wonders. I'm not sure if they remember that's what happened. And as we continue to track through the book of Acts, even as we, we track through today, you can see there's this, these things that are connecting to pieces that, that happened before, reasons why things are happening as started from before. And we can see them when we look to the gospel now. We can look at it, and we can see, can we look at it in hindsight? We look at everything in hindsight, and we see the, the narrative flow and what would happen here. Oh, man, they prayed here a couple of chapters later. We see God answering this thing. Sometimes we have to stop and... Look at our lives in hindsight to see how God has, has answered prayers that we've even forgotten about. Prayers that we prayed like a year ago, five years ago, 
God is answering it right now, but you forgot about it. Sometimes we got to stop and look at our life in hindsight to see the narrative of God's blessings inside of our lives, how he's been keeping us and, and carrying us along the way. Sometimes we get caught up with right here what's right in front of our face, and we forget the whole flow of things that God has done leading to this very point in time. We got to step back and we got to look. Look at the flow of what God's been doing, how God's been blessing, how you, you prayed about that thing long time ago. Or looking at the things that happened in your children's life that you prayed about when they were just little babies, but you done forgot that you prayed about those things. We got to read the scripture in, in, in knowledge of the full narrative of things, and we look at our lives and knowledge of the full narrative of what God is doing. We enter into this text, and right off the back, just studying this text, I feel this tension because Right off the back, it seems like there's something that's conflicting to me. And I'm trying to understand what's going on. We dive into verses 13 and 14, and it's like, it says, it says 13 and 14 says, None of the rest did join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And then it says in 14, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. And I'm like, well, hold on. Either none of the rest did join them, or mad people was getting saved. And it seemed like it conflicts with one another. But then I know that Scripture doesn't conflict, right? And I'm just studying because I want to understand the flow of things. I want to understand why, did this, why are these two things seem to be intentionally right next to each other. None of the rest there joined but believers was being added more than ever before. And this is a big deal because when he says believers are being added more than ever before, it's like before it was 3,000, then it was 5,000, and now it's more than ever before, but it's right next to that. None of the rest would dare come. See, in order to carry into this week, we need to connect to last week where Pastor Aaron was preaching and, and, and during that part where he was preaching in, in 532-36 he's preaching about the community of believers and it, it, it described the full number of those that believed, right? The believers, it described these people and it gave a description of what they looked like. And when it gave that description, it said that they were of one heart and one soul, so they was committed to unity. It said that they shared everything they had by not making it about themselves, so they was committed to being selfless. It said that they sold property they had so that all that was in need amongst them would have so they was committed to the needs of others and as pastor Aaron preached last week he pointed at the reason why it was committed to all these things because they was committed to their covenant relationship with God Luke uses a few more examples to, to describe the character of this community of believers. 
And then he describes a, a contrast group of people amongst them. Ones that weren't committed to unity. Ones that weren't committed to selflessness. Ones that weren't committed to serving the needs of others. They weren't committed to this covenant relationship with God. And he uses Ananias and Sapphira as an example to talk about this, this contrast community in the midst of their community. Luke is, is he's making a, a distinction between two groups of people. Those that were committed to their covenant relationship with God, believers, and those who were around the believers but only committed to themselves, and he calls them the rest of them, the rest. You have the believers and everybody else, the believers and the rest. See, this this rest that he's talking about, these people, they were, they were sympathizers of the movement. They, they were intrigued and excited at it. They, they respected it. They, like, they, they respected what was going on. And, and, and they thought it was interesting and they were they they drawn to it, but, but they didn't believe it enough to fully commit to the movement. Now when we understand that, verses 13 and 14, doesn't seem like they conflicted, but instead it makes sense. He says, none of the rest, talking about the other people like Ananias and Sapphira, dared to join them. But those people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers, people committed to the mission of God, people committed to their covenant relationship with God, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The difference was those that trusted God and those that trusted themselves. Their trust in God is what led them to lead the way that they led. Their trust in themselves is what caused them to hold back because they trusted what they would do. We start off with, with verse 12 with this awkward tension. You have people who wouldn't dare join right next to more believers joining than ever before. And it's crazy. It's crazy because this whole thing is here. Because the death of Ananias and Sapphira, God kills off Ananias and Sapphira and creates a scenario where now there's, there's, there's people that wouldn't dare join. And a side effect of that was more believers join more than ever before. And it's like God's strategies of church growth is weird. God's like, all right, I get it. I know how I'm going to grow the church. I'm going to kill off a couple of them fake people. I'm going to kill off a couple of them fake people. The church is going to blow up. <laughs> Some of y'all is like, I'm glad that men plan out church growing strategies, not God. <laughs> it's 
you look at this text, and really there's a lot that's going on here. There's so much. That was a big chunk. But there were so many things going on here. And what, what you see here is, is this community that's, that's marked by unity amidst tension. Tons of tension is going on. They, they, they're being threatened and they've been beat and, and people don't want to join. You see this community that's, that's marked by unity, marked by growth amidst tension. See, the thing is, a lot of times Christians, they, they, they want to enter into the church. They want to enter into in the ministry. They wanna, and they want to come in and they try to find a way that they can find balance. How do I find the perfect balance? People preach, you just got to find balance. That's all. And the reality is that the whole idea and concept of finding balance for the Christian is an illusion. You can never find balance. It's not like the yin and yang symbol where there's like a perfect area of negativity balanced out by this positivity with a little bit of negative and positive in each one of them. That's not the world that God has called us to. He's called us dead smack in the middle of tension, deep tension. That's the life that he's called us to. An ugly life. A life that's, that's characterized by push and pull. And he's like, I'm calling you into the tension and telling you to trust me in the midst of the tension. But we're so busy, busy looking for balance. And really, when we find this balance where everything is sort of evened out, and, and really we're trying to find how do we control things. How do we make things a little bit easy? How do we make things so there's not push and pull when I don't want push or pull? How do I get balance? When God has called us to live in the tension. Let me make this side note. We, ride, we walk through this text and it starts out in 12 and it says... Now, many signs and wonders was regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Look, the more we, we push into Acts, the more we, we're going to see these regular displays of these miraculous gifts, the more we trek through it. We're going to come on and we're going to continue to see these, these, these crazy things that are happening by the, the glory and power of God, these, these gifts. And the more that we push in, the more that we, we start wrestling with the elephant inside the room. You know, how come we don't see it flowing like that today? How come we don't see evangelists going and sitting inside the hospital and healing everybody in the hospital wing? We, we, we wrestle with that. How do we don't, we don't see a regular display or, or, or if we do see something, we see it very sporadic or being abused. And because we don't want to wrestle with the tension of why we don't see it, we start creating theology to help us accept not seeing it. 
How do I just roll with it, just accept not seeing it? That's how I'm going to find balance out. I'm just going to create some theology that says, how, he just died off with the apostles. There's a logical reason for it. That way, there's no motivation to pursue it. There's no, there's no, there's no room in the theology to, to boldly walk in it and, and practice it. But that's us trying to find balance and not living in the tension and wrestle with the things that, that God wants us to wrestle with. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 3, it said these gifts will continue until Christ's return. So that means there's a problem that we should be wrestling with, but we get theology to cut it all out. I know that these things continue to happen. I remember having a conversation with um, one of the other um, redemption pastors, and we were just talking about this, this whole thing. He was sharing this story how he had went to Africa on this missionary trip, and while he was in Africa, he was, he was there at this place, and him and his team was there, and um, there was this guy that was tied up with chains to a tree. And the guy was just foaming at the mouth, and he was yelling and screaming. He was going crazy. And he asked them, hey, what's wrong with that guy? And they said, oh, he has a demon inside of him. And he just said it like all regularly. Oh, he has a demon. He said, so he asked them, like, all right, what are you guys doing about it? So he, he said, they explained to him, oh, we, well, we have a process. First, we call the imams. Okay, it was like a predominantly Muslim place. First, we call the imams. They come and they pray. And if that doesn't work, then we call the witch doctor. And if the witch doctor work doesn't work, then we call the Christians. So he was saying that, so they was there, and he was there to see them go through this whole process. And, and so they call the imam, the imam is praying, and it doesn't work. Then they call the witch doctor, and he does all his stuff, and it doesn't work. Then they take the guy, unchain him from the tree, chain him back up, and they start dragging him. And he's like, well, where you going? Well, we're on our way to the Christians. Their camp is down there. We got to bring them to the Christians. He's like, while they're dragging him, he's wilding out, kicking and screaming. And the moment that they, they, they cross over the threshold to the Christian camp, he goes limp. Then the Christians come out, and they pray over the guy. And after they pray over the guy, the guy starts talking to them. So he said, so he asked the guy, what is, what is, he asked them, what is the guy saying? And they said, he said, he's thirsty. Man, we prayed over him. There's no more demon. We just cast the demon out. He's like, it goes like this all the time. They always come to us last. They, they go to the imams, then the witch doctor, then they drag them over here, and we always cast out the demon. When you know that stories like that exist and there's things that's going on and you know that these things are real and we have to wrestle here in the Western church with what's going on. Really a better question that we should be wrestling with is what are we doing to hinder the expression of those gifts? Now that's just a side note. Let me get back to the the story of what's going on. But you can't, you can't make it through Acts without seeing all these things. You look here, and, and they're, they're healing, and they're doing these things, and then they're drugged back in front of the same court that they was at before when they healed the paralytic guy. 
Now, it was interesting because the first time that it was there, they tell him, we don't want you to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter, and Peter says, well, will you judge? You tell us it's right to listen to God or man. But now they're here the second time, and the people are like, I thought we told you not to preach in Jesus' name. They, and now they're like, listen, we need to listen to God rather than man. And his language has changed. See, a lot of times we're waiting for people that don't understand the plan of God, that don't understand the mission of God to affirm whether or not we should obey the will of God. Like, we're waiting for them to get it. And the sad thing is that sometimes we're banking on the fact that they don't get it because we really don't want to do it. And that's the reason why we're talking to them because their support is not doing it because they don't get it. And we're banking on that. But when we really get it, when we really get the fact that the reason why we get it is because it's God's will for us to give it to those who don't. We no longer wait for affirmation of those who don't know the will of God. Instead, we walk in the authority of the affirmation of God himself. So they walk in that authority. And they boldly make it clear that they must obey God over man. And, and when they make this statement, they make this distinction to them, speaking to their religious leaders like, hey, listen, I'm saying God over man because you no longer represent God. And things do nothing but get worse for them. See, before the council was annoyed... Now they're enraged and want them dead. Before they, they let them go with the warning, now the warning was them being flogged. Not only do you see, as we progress inside these texts, not only do you see the gospel being proclaimed more, more people becoming believers, more signs and wonders, we also see more people that won't dare join, more opposition, and more persecution. We see this, this growing tension. We see the rise of two kingdoms, God's kingdoms and Satan's kingdoms. That's why there's tension. We see the kingdom of Satan, it's, it's, it's always growing right next to the kingdom of God. And Matthew, through 13 and 30, it says, the weeds and the wheat will grow together. Now, this represents two opposing kingdoms. So even when we're, we're flourishing in the good things of God, we have to also prep ourselves for the enemy. We have to also be on our knees in prayer. Just because nothing bad isn't happening right now doesn't mean that the enemy isn't on the, on the sidelines scheming. And we're prepping our hearts knowing that until Christ comes back, both of these kingdoms are growing right next to each other. That's why we have to find ourselves living inside of the tension because we live inside of a world that's full of, of tension that want to paint this illusion that there isn't no tension, just find that balance. Yeah. One thing that I love about this text is that you see the sovereignty of God in the midst of it. Yeah. 
You see, on one end, you see God intervening divinely with an angel that sort of teleports them out of the prison because, like, the doors are still locked and the guards are still inside the front, but yet they're not in there anymore. And then God takes them back out to where they got picked up at and tells them, get back busy again. Or you see human intervention with Gamaliel who, when they're thinking about killing him, Gamaliel's like, nah, don't kill him. And that's God intervening through human intentions right there. See, we rest in the knowledge that our God controls both heaven and earth. He controls the natural and the supernatural. So as we rest inside that tension, it's not because we got things in control. We rest inside the tension because our God has everything in control. That's the reason why we can chill right there. Nonetheless, even though he, he delivers them from death, even though he intervenes, he still allows them to suffer persecution for Jesus' name's sake. They still get flogged. When they said they beat them, that's what it means. They, they flogged them. But the thing that's interesting is that even though they got flogged, they didn't come out depressed. They didn't come out like, woe is me. I can't believe that happened, Lord. Why did you let the worst thing happen to me? That's not what it says. It says that they came out rejoicing. Rejoicing in the midst of that suffering. It's like they've accepted the tension that God had, had, had brought them to live in. And then they, they counted it worthy. And the reason why they counted it worthy, that's why I said we got we to gotta always remember the passages that came before. Because like, they remember the last three years walking with them. And they remember a time sitting on a mountain, when Jesus is teaching them the Beatitudes. They remember that. When Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so they did the same thing to the prophets. They go through, through this suffering with this in mind. It's like, man, we, we got beat for his name and we kind of worthy. And we know that our Lord told us this has happened to us. And there would be a blessing inside of it. Like, now, now, that's weird. No one gets together and be like, yo, they beat us up, yo. But for them, it's like, yo, remember he told us about that? I want to close up with this last point. And the band, you guys can come up now. It's something that really stands out to me. When we talk about living in the tension, something that was beautiful that stood out to me is in verses 35 through 39 where, where Gamaliel makes a, a specific kind of argument that I thought was, was very important and very encouraging See, because sometimes people forget that, or people don't know that, like, Jesus saying that he was the Messiah, that wasn't the first time this happened. 
It happened a couple of times before. And the same thing always happened all the time. So the people was used to someone showing up saying that the Messiah, they're like, okay, here we go again. In 35, Gamaliel is making his, his argument. He says, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, theaters rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone for... If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. That was in Jerusalem. The gospel was barely breaching the boundaries of Jerusalem because now people from other towns who've heard about that one guy that said he was the Messiah, they killed him. Hey, listen, it looked like he's, he's still alive doing work through his disciples. Massive people are being held and people from different towns are now bringing their people to get held. That was in Jerusalem. It was barely starting to, to breach the borders of Jerusalem. And now here you are in America, over 2,000 years later, and we're still growing. Still, you see the fact that God's plan is unstoppable. Yeah. This is where we rest at. This is how we know that we can rest here inside of the tension of everything else because God's plan is unstoppable. Yeah. God's plan, he's completely in control. He controls both heaven, he controls earth, he controls rulers, he controls all these things, and we are his. That's where they was able to rest at. And that's where, where we can rest at. When he calls us to rest in the tension. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for how good you are, Lord, for how good you continue to be to us, your people, Lord. Father, I ask that you will keep our hearts, Lord, our hearts that desire to find this comfortable place, knowing that you've called us not to comfortability but to tension. Help us to trust and rest inside of you, Lord. Father, we pray that you will continue to have your way with us, your people here. Let us think what it means to live inside that tension in our marriages and in our jobs and as a single person and all the things where there's tension to live as a Christian. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.